Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online and in uh, Wetumpka and Pike Road and elsewhere around the world. We are in our second installment on our series entitled Changing for the Better. And this is an important installment because if we're going to change for the better, we need to get rid of the roadblocks, the obstacles that keep us from changing. And today I want to talk with you about four of them that are terribly important. Because I think if we came here today, we'd like 2018 to be the best year it can possibly be. In order for that to happen, we have to change for the better. And so uh, if you'd like to change for the better this year, would you say amen? amen? Okay, well, I want to take a running start at this, remind us of a couple of things we hit last week, but they're important for us to review because when I get into these obstacles, it's important for us to remind ourselves before we begin that change, first of all, point one on your outline, there's an outline in your bulletin entitled Removing Obstacles to Change. Point one is simply this, that change is a natural part of life. Now, I'm saying that again because sometimes we're resistant to change and saying, well, I don't know if I want to change or I don't know that I want change. Well, change is coming whether we want it or not. For everything, there is a season. This is Ecclesiastes 3, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to harvest. And God has made everything beautiful for its own time. I have a, an insulated ice scraper here, and I used it this morning on my car, and it was beautiful. Okay? In the middle of July 4th of this year, I'm trading this in for a spatula to flip burgers. Does that make sense to everybody? The spatula does me no good this morning, but this does me no good on a 4th of July cookout. Everything's beautiful in its own time. It's the same way in my life. There are some things I've gotten used to that have been helpful to me uh, to get me to this point, and there's going to come a time when I need to say, God, if you need to change something in my life, it might be that I need to get more education. It might be that I need to change my attitude. It might be that God's calling me to live in a different part of a city or in a different part of the world. And what if God wants to bring change into my life? Am I going to accept that or am I going to fight him? Because change is a part of life for everyone. And as Christians, we trust that God knows what he's doing. It's a natural part of life. And secondly, as Christians, we also embrace change because we believe that total life change is necessary for everyone and made possible through Jesus. Not only do we believe that change is coming our way, we believe God wants to change us, and we want God to change us. As Christians, we're not the ones fighting change. We're the ones saying, Lord, we want to change. We need change in our lives. Through Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. This is Paul in Colossians 1. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So as we stand before Jesus, we are holy and blameless. We were once far from him, and now he's brought us close. We were lost sinners, now we're holy and blameless. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Well, that's what it means to come to Christ, is to have a total life change. Well, if I come to Christ and he's changed me, why would I resent that? I don't. And the truth is, the Bible tells us not only did he want to change us so we could come to Christ, there's an ongoing change. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your life, life from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. 
God not only wants to change my life, he wants to change the life of my family and my friends. He wants the whole world to experience what it means to be right with him. And so as Christians, we're going, hey, I'm grateful for the change you brought in my life. And Lord, I want you to change the lives of my friends. And not only that, but I want you to change the way I think. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Please underline that. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If I'm going to change for the better this year, then I need to change the way I think. I mean, if I'm thinking wrongly about my finances, I need to think rightly. If I'm thinking wrongly, and if I've been thinking wrongly about my health and the way I eat or the way I exercise, I need to think rightly. If I've been thinking wrongly about God, I need to think rightly. And so God changed the way I think. Now, when we get to that part where we say, hey, God, change is coming my way. I want to be able to respond to it rightly. And God, I welcome change because I signed up for change when I became a Christian. So change me in the way you see best. If we're at that place, then we're ready to talk about some obstacles that are going to need to be overcome. But before we get any further, I want to have a word of prayer and ask, us, ask God to make our hearts open because I want to give you one fair warning. When you say God changed the way I think, he's going to do it. And he's going to confront us with some things that need to be changed. So if you really want God to change you for the better, and if I really want God to change me for the better, then I need to say, Lord, change the way I think. Have at it, no matter what it is. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, coming before you is something that requires complete honesty. Lord, you know all things. You know my past. You know my future. You know the things in my life that nobody else knows. You know my insecurities, my doubts. Lord, you know my fears for today, my worries about tomorrow. You know everything. And so, God, why am I going to hide from you today? So, Lord, I just ask that you would speak and that you'd move me out of the way. You'd show us some things that we need to, to do business with in our hearts today. I pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So today we're going to look at four obstacles that keep us from changing. I mean, God is wanting to change us. He's wanting to make us brand new people inside and out. And here are four obstacles that keep us from it. First of all is self-reliance. Self-reliance. I'll call it by another name. Pride. I mean, that's what that means. When I trust in myself and my own strength, I say, well, you know, yeah, I know I need to change that, but it's not a problem. I got it. <clears throat> what I'm saying is, that's prideful. That's saying I can handle this. Now, I came to Christ because I couldn't handle my life, but then when God confronts me on something in my life, oh, God, I got this. And usually what that means is, Lord, I'm willing to change a little, but I don't want you to change the whole thing. And over and over again in Scripture, we're warned against trusting the strength of others or trusting our own strength. Probably there's no place any clearer than in Jeremiah 17, the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord is speaking through him. This is what the Lord says, Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They're like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. 
But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. See, what I want you and me to understand is this is what's so great about bringing all of our sins and all of our problems and all of our worries and all of our fears and all the things that, we, that God convicts us about that we need to change. When we present them back to him, he says, I'll help you with this. I'll give you strength when you don't have strength on your own. I'll give you wisdom that you lack. I'll even give you counsel. I'll bring other people into your life to help you. But if we go on our own strength, we'll go, no, Lord, I got it. And he says, well, when you try to solve things on your own, when you try to run life in your own strength, it makes you like a little bush growing in the desert, like a little cactus. I want you to be like a fruit tree planted beside a stream by a river where there's water all the time. It doesn't matter whether it's going through a period of drought. It doesn't matter whether it's the middle of summer and the blazing heat. It's yielding its fruit, and it's strong because it's got a supply of strength and refreshment that never runs out. And if you would like that in your life this year, would you say amen? Well, you can't do it on your own. I mean, that's the reason why we end up so frustrated and things don't change. We're relying on our strength over and over again, and we've tried this for 20 years. It hasn't worked for the last 20. Why is it going to work this year? And Peter said, bring all your problems to the Lord. Cast all your problems on him. He cares for you. He'll help you. James 5.16, James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That's the other reminder of this. If I go through things on my own and don't allow other people to help me, I'm, I'm being foolish. I want you to understand that that's what church is about. That's what center point is about. It's, it's meeting together with other Christians who are seeking the Lord, seeking his power, seeking his refreshment, seeking him, his wisdom together. And when we come to him together, we can help each other. The Bible makes this clear. When two of us stand back to back, we can conquer. I got your back. You got mine. I can help you with your problems. You can help me with mine. If we both hold each other accountable, and if we have three or four of us together, oh my goodness, we can generate a lot of wisdom. We can pray for each other. We can stand by each other when we're sick. We can help each other figure out complex problems. And that's what church is about. A couple of weeks ago, I had somebody stop me again. You know, I invited him to come to church, and they went, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, no offense, but you know, I don't need church. I'm good on my own. I go, really? Yeah, they go, I don't think I need to go to church to be a Christian. I go, no, and I don't leave, need to live in the same state if I want to be married. I don't. I'm just as married whether my wife and I live in the same state or whether we live in or, or not. But I think we'd all agree, hey, we'd be able to solve a lot more problems together if we lived in the same house instead of three states apart. Does that make sense to anybody? Why would I want to rob myself of all the fellowship, of all the joy, of all the wisdom, of all the prayer, of all the support of brothers and sisters in Christ? Why would I want to go it on my own? That's called self-reliance. That's called pride. I don't need help dealing with my problems. Well, the scripture clearly says you do. And God does not lie. And this is why it's important to be a part of church and to be a part of a small group. Because we need each other. And it's silly to think we can go through life just as well on our own. Why would that be? Why would that ever be? And that's why we say it's all about relationships. 
A second thing is that's important to understand here is it won't help us if we want to change if we blame others. Blaming is an obstacle to change. Blaming who? Blaming others, blaming circumstances, blaming God. And this is the way it's been from the beginning. Adam and Eve were told in the Garden of Eden not to eat from the tree, fruit of a tree in the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God clearly set it apart. Millions of other trees they could have eaten from. This was the only one that was forbidden. The devil, disguised as a serpent, tempted Eve. She ate from the fruit. She offered it to her husband, Adam, and he ate too. They both realized they were naked, and they went and hid in the Garden of Eden. The Lord came looking for them, and this is where we jump in the conversation. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And Adam bravely stepped forward and said, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit. And then I ate it. And then the Lord asked the woman, What have you done? And bravely the woman stepped forward and said, The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. And welcome to Blaming 101. This is when blaming started. Blaming started the first time human beings were caught. We all do this when we're kids. Sad thing is we can still do this even when we grow up. We have a problem. We lost our temper. Yeah, well, I know it wasn't right, but if you'd have been through what I went through that day, you'd have lost your temper too. You give me different circumstances, I don't act that way. Yeah, well, I know this isn't right in my life, but, you know, my dad was that way, my mom was that way, so I'm that way too. Always been that way. It's just the way my family is. We blame our heredity, blame our circumstances. I mean, is this the way we're going to change for the better this next year? If somebody comes into my office at the beginning of the day and they give me a hard time, I'm going to have a bad day. If they give me a good time, I'm going to have a good day. I'm going to allow everybody else to determine my mood this year and I'm going to change for the better. I mean, that's exactly the opposite of what we just read. The Lord says, hey, if you base your life on me and surrender your life to me, you're like a tree planted by the river. And it doesn't matter what comes your way because you're not getting your refreshment and your resources, and your wisdom, and your joy from your circumstances. You're not getting it from your heredity. You're getting it from me, says the Lord. Now, if that's good news, would you say amen? Now, think about this. How many times we blame others in our circumstances. I'm not responsible for what other people say to me. I am responsible for how I respond. Well, where am I going to get that strength? Where am I going to get that wisdom? From the Lord. But see, we even blame Him. And this has even become popular in our culture now. If we have a sinful, something that's called sinful in the Bible, we go, well, that's just the way I was born. God made me that way, so it must be okay with Him. Listen to what the Scripture says about that. Remember, when you're being tempted, don't say, God's tempting me. God never tempted, is never tempted to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from your own desires which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Mm. This year, if I want to change for the better, I don't need to go on my own. And i got to quit blaming others. i got to accept responsibility for this. Yeah, i got a bad temper. Yeah, I'm out of control with my eating. And if somebody, you know, if there's pizza in the break room, I'm there. Okay? 
Does it have to be that way? No. Not if I depend on the Lord. Not if I get the strength from others, brothers and sisters in Christ, who will pray with me and help me. Real change can happen. Third thing, fear. Fear. Do you know that fear is such a barrier to change? We are so afraid. We overestimate the size of our problem or our difficulty, and we underestimate any abilities that God has given us to deal with it, and we underestimate his willingness to help. We underestimate the willingness that others have to help us too. We don't even ask for help. Oh, they wouldn't be interested. And then you call somebody and they go, I'd love to. Oh. But we're just so afraid. And so we don't sign up for the class, even though we know God wants us to advance and God's given us an opportunity. Oh, I just don't know if I'll pass. Well, have you talked about this with anybody? Have you prayed about this? No, I just, I'm just afraid. I've never done that well before. Or maybe God is challenging you to change an attitude or get rid of an addiction. I've never been able to come to terms with it before. I just, I'm so afraid. And if people know what this is about, oh, they won't, they won't talk to me anymore. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I've sinned. I've disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. And here's why, because I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. King Saul, just right there in that statement, admitted why God took the kingdom away from him and gave it to David, because he was more worried about what people thought than what he, than what he was that God thought. What it was that God thought. I mean, when we're afraid to try stuff, mm. here's an acronym that might help you with fear, by the way. A lot of people, and this is not original to me, so I didn't come up with this, but it's, it's false evidence appearing real. F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. And that's what the devil does. He is the great deceiver, and he puts all kinds of false evidence out there and makes it seem real. It's too hard. Can't do it. No one will help you. Mm -mm. So we give up without even trying. And we don't make the change for the better. And if I want to be a stronger person in the Lord, if I want a stronger prayer life, if I want to be developed into the person God wants me to be this next year, I can't give in to fear. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 35. This is to God's people when they were terrified. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. I could have put dozens and dozens and dozens of verses in the, in the Bible, from the Bible where it says, do not fear, 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 do not fear. Because over and over again in my life, in your life, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. What if people reject me? What if I miss out? What if I lose my position where I am now? Even if I'm miserable where I am now? Oh, I don't want to change. I don't want to take any risks. Lord, I want you to change me, but I don't want any risk. And it's like, come on now, trust in me. Now look, Please understand, fear is a natural emotion. There are things we need to be afraid of. If you're not afraid of a rattlesnake, you should be afraid. The house is on fire, you should run. You should be afraid. We're not talking about that kind of fear. We're talking about fear here of phobias of things that you know God's called you to do. It's not even rational. This is an opportunity. Take it. Ah. We've got to trust in him. 
that we want to change for the better. Fourthly, hiding sin. This is a big one too. If I want to change for the better, I got to lay my heart open and say, Lord, change whatever you want to change. Jesus said God's light came into the world. People love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what's right come to the light so others can see that, uh, see that they are doing what God wants. Man, it's so important for us to understand this, that God just wants us to come into the light. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he paid the penalty for our sins. Let me explain what that means. See, sometimes we're afraid that if we come and tell God all the things we've done, or if we sit down, like it said here in, in James 5, confess our sins to each other, if I confess my sins, then others won't accept me and God won't accept me. And the truth is God saw it all anyway. Yeah, but I just couldn't bear it because then, I, then God would have to kill me. I've shared with some of you before, it's like this is what happens when people come to my office and they are so burdened and weighed down by sin and they know they have to change, they know they have to get rid of it, they're under so much conviction and they come and they tell me, oh, I did this and, and they'll even you know, be nervous and fidgeting and rolling their hands and stuff and they finally say, this is what I did. And then they wince because they're waiting for the lightning bolt or they're waiting for me to grab a big Bible and hit them over the head. How'd you get in here? And then what happens instead, I go, oh, I'm so glad you said this. Let's give it to the Lord. And I read them verse after verse after verse of how Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And how he washes us clean from all our sins, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. And I read him the passages of how Jesus was nailed to a cross. And before that, he was brutally beaten. And they, the soldiers who were mocking him, who crucified him, they made a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. And not just put it on his head, they took a stick and they jammed it into his head. And they mocked him. And they said, if you're the son of God, then stop prophesying who hit you. They even blindfolded him. Played games with him. And people go, why did God allow that? Because all the anger... All the wrath that God should have poured out on John Schmidt was poured out on Jesus instead. All the wrath for that hidden sin. All the anger for that terrible attitude in your heart. That shameful thing you did. Jesus said, Father, let it be on me so John can go free. Why would we hide from him? Where else would we go? This is why there's no pride. Lord, I come to you because I'm a sinner, hopelessly lost. If I stand before you on my own merits, I stand condemned, and all the wrath that was poured out on Jesus should be poured on me. I should have been the one on the cross. And Jesus says, I know. That's why I told you to come. If you are weary and carry heavy burdens, come to me. I'll give you rest. It's finished. Paid in full. P. 
People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they'll receive mercy. That's Old Testament. That's Proverbs. That's Old Testament and New. This is why we come to God. We can't do this on our own. So what does God want for us? Here's the big life application for the whole thing. God wants us to repent of our sins and surrender our lives to him. God wants us to repent of our sins and surrender our lives to him. Here's what it means to repent. It's the back button on the computer. Go back. When you and I realize we've been making a mess of our lives, this is what it means to come to Christ in the first place. When Peter preached the most amazing sermon ever on Pentecost Sunday and told people that Jesus Christ had died on the cross for their sins to the very crowd of people who would have condemned Jesus to death and misunderstood it, it says the people were cut to the quick and they said, Peter, what must we do? And here's the way Peter answered. Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you've received forgiveness for your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants to change us. He's the power supply. He will change us. But that's why it's so foolish to come to him in our own pride. We can't forgive our sins. What makes us think we can change our bad behaviors? Where would we know, where would we get the idea of how to live anyway? We don't need to blame people. We need to accept responsibility. And we don't need to be afraid of God's judgment or hide our sins from him. That's all been taken care of at the cross. Let's come to him. And here's a note. Repentance is more than just being sad we got caught. That's not what we're talking about. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret in that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Well, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. There's a worldly sorrow that's sorry that we got caught. There's a worldly sorrow that says, Oh, man, I want you to help me out of debt. Are you going to change your spending, pro- spending habits? No, I just don't want to be in debt. I want to change the consequences, but I don't want to change my behavior. Mm -mm. Jesus is interested in us bringing everything to him. Changing for the better. Not just the consequences, but the behavior that is at the root of it. Am I willing to come to him that way? To trust him? To do whatever he wants in my life? Because that brings us to the next note. Repentance is a lifelong activity of turning back to God. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Repentance always involves surrender. I've been going the wrong way. And what's great is God is working on us continually, and there are things that he's bringing into your, bringing to your attention now that he's been patiently waiting for a time and maturity in your life and in mine when he could bring these to us and we would willfully surrender it to him. And if we're willing to, he'll change our lives. But true repentance lets nothing get in the way of change. Let's not just be comfortable with the way we are. A lot of times we want to get rid of just 
all those consequences, but not the sin itself. Lord, please help me overcome this, but, but I don't want to change just yet. Mm-mm. We come to him and say, Lord, nothing hidden, I'm yours. So maybe today the Lord has spoken to you and he's shown you something in your life. Maybe before this, you've been even saying, man, I feel like the Lord has challenged me to do something, but I don't think I can do it. And it's fear that's been holding you back. That's what needs to be surrendered to him this morning, your fear. Lord, help me not be afraid to trust you. You've opened everything up. It's right here, right now. I just have to step out. Lord, help me have courage, not fear. Maybe today you came here and you've been deeply convicted that this is the year something's going to change with your temper or your tongue. But you've never been successful before. Well, this year, surrender to him and say, God, and would you also bring some other people in my life that can hold me accountable? I'm worried more about what you think than what other people think of me. Maybe this year it's time to stop hiding. So God, I'm yours. And if I only have one year left on this planet, then this is going to be the best year ever because you can have whatever you want in my life. I surrender all. doesn't mean that some of these changes won't be painful. But if we go through it the way he wants, it means the Lord will give us strength. But even when we go through a dry time and a hard time, we're still going to yield fruit. And we're going to be strong even when we go through the difficulty. The Lord himself guarantees it. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we just come before you this morning, and I want everybody in the sound of my voice to change for the better in 2018. I want this to be the best year we've ever had. I cannot change myself, and I don't want to try. Lord, there are a few things I can do, but it's just kind of little tweaks. Lord, for the real change, Lord, you've got to change my heart. You've got to change my attitude. You've got to renew my mind. And I'm asking you to do that. I pray, Father, that, Lord, we would not hide our sins from you. And, Lord, that you would bring us into right relationships with a few other Christians so we could confess our sins to others and experience what it means to live in unity. If I can be in a relationship with others who help me and I can help them, all because we're in this journey together. I pray, Father, that you would convince me of the things that need to be changed in my life and you'd forgive me for my pride, my stubbornness, my fear, the way I've tried to hide things from you. If the Lord spoke to you about anything this morning while I was speaking, would you say, Lord, I heard you? And Lord, I come before you and I surrender. Change me as you see fit. I surrender my life. I surrender all that I have. I surrender all. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.